Welcome to our Innovative Realtors and Investors Nationwide. Today is Thursday, November 9th, 2023, and this is All the Leads Mastermind podcast number 454. We've got an exciting uh, agenda program, uh, things to talk about today, so let me kick it to our CEO, Tim, to introduce that. Yeah, I, 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 when last week we had Richard Group on and we were talking a little bit about AI and I hope that all of you have uh, taken the opportunity to maybe get signed up for Richard's course. He had his first uh, free training course, got a course in December, and uh, he gave us all a great opportunity to get signed up for the uh, his regular $300 training course for a three-day boot camp in December uh, with a lot of freebies to go with it. He did the first pre-training for that yesterday, about an hour and 45 minutes, and he gave a lot of info there, and I've certainly been spending time on AI, but that's not what we're doing today. Uh, last week, I said that we would focus our time today on the change in the industry that is beginning to have some effect at, in regard to the landmark judgment against uh, NAR and some of the large brokerages in regard to inflating commissions and the repercussions that may have in regard to the industry. So we've kind of put our heads together and uh, kind of did our own little think tank together with the four of us this morning to kind of look at what effects we think it may have on the market and, uh, you know, what might happen as a result of that. And we're going to talk about it in the beginning of the meeting. We're going to have some conversation about it, uh, kind of give you some of our perspective. And then we're going to throw the floor open to you guys to very, very much we want to hear from you about what's happening in your market, because we want you to make sure that you certainly look to us as a resource and make sure that you're showing up here to get that information that's important to you to help you grow your business and prosper in tough times and all that sort of stuff. But I also want to point out that in no case in any of this, are we recommending a specific course of action or anything else? We're trying to open you up to, here's some things you could do. Uh, some of them might work for you. Some might not. Some of these things may happen. Not all of them will. Uh, and we're not trying to give you actions to say you should go do these because we're not attorneys. We're not playing that game at all. But it's our job to kind of help the discussion move forward. So that's what this is kind of about today. Uh, Jim's got a couple of things that he wants to talk about that are kind of anecdotal. Uh, I think then Bruce is going to chat a little bit about some of the issues we talked about this morning and the same for Ken. And then we're going to throw it open to you guys. And then later on in the call, we've got uh, a mystery guest, if he is able to make it and show up and join us. And uh, we're also going to call on our old buddy, Roger uh, Lisi, to talk about uh, what he's doing in regard to some marketing stuff. And I see him on the call. So we've got a power pack call for you today. And with that, Jimmy, I'm going to kick it back to you and uh, let you anecdotally on. Perfect. And just so you know, Bruce, Tim, and I, in about 10 minutes this morning, we're completely able to figure it all out. And we've got all the we've got all the answers for you. Um, I do want to echo one thing. When two or more realtors get together and agree on a commission, it's called price fixing. So we are not going to do that. I may we may give you some ex examples of what other agents are doing, but in no way do we ever recommend that you charge a specific commission or take a specific course of action. We're just giving you options. So that's what we're not going to do. Um, 
it's kind of interesting. This is kind of timely. In the last over the last two calls, I was going to mention a couple things that, like Tim said, that I had anecdotally come across, and we had a couple busy calls, and the, both of these things I noticed before the uh, the recent NAR ruling. One of them, um, my long-term friend, I've known him since our daughters, we coached softball together when they were six years old. He's an attorney. He has his real estate license hung with me. He came in the office one day, all kind of sheepish, and he said, I really have to apologize to you. I listed with someone else. And honestly, I didn't really care. He was on such a high commission split anyway, because he was a friend of mine. I wasn't devastated, but I said, Craig, you realize you've got your license with our office, right? He said, yeah. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, there is a, a specialist in my neighborhood who's been sending me letters once a month for years. He About once a quarter, he knocks on the door. Um, we bought a house in Chicago to be near my daughter. And a couple of days later, he knocked on the door. And I told him, yeah, no, I don't, you know, we're not ready to do anything. But he took a walk through the house and he said, your house is beautiful. I'd recommend two things. He said, I'd recommend you resurface the driveway. It looks very cracked. It's not in good shape and do a little landscaping. And Craig said, oh, okay, great, great. And he said, well, I don't think you understand. I have a concierge approach. I will do everything for you. And he said, I charge 6% and I give 2% to the, uh, to the listing agent. And he said, do you mind? if I take care of the driveway and the landscaping and Craig thought he was kidding, but he came home the next day and he had a new driveway and there was a landscaping crew in his, in his yard. And apparently the guy paid for it all. And so the guy showed up an hour later and Craig said, I just couldn't say no to him, you know? And, and I thought, I think that's a great example of what we say. Not, not that I, we're encouraging you to go out and pay for a lot of stuff for your clients, but that concierge approach, when you do something nobody else is doing, and also the his commission was 6%, 2% to the selling agent and 4% if I sell it myself. So anyway, that's that's a variation that's kind of interesting and it, it's been going on for years. I'm sure you've all run into it. And then um, we came home from a vacation and there was a for sale sign across the street from where I live. And uh, I said, really? I know you were planning on moving. You've been here 15 years. He said, a guy knocked on my door said, I've got all these foreign buyers, and he listed my house. I, what would you want for it? I said, I gave him a ridiculously high price, $1.2 He said, oh, yeah, I can get you $1.2 million. Um, I'll take a pocket listing at 3%. So, okay, so I'll give it to you for 30 days. You can get me $1.2 And the guy said, and then if we don't sell it in 30 days, I'll put it in the MLS at 4% and pay 2% to the buyer's agents. Of course, he didn't sell it in 30 days. He probably didn't even have a buyer. but after 30 days, the day it went into the multiple listing, first person looked at it, bought it for 1.2 million. So, you know, but it was so appealing because agents are so used to paying 6%. It was so appealing to this guy. Wow, I'm getting a deal at 3% that he pretty much, you know, signed on the spot. So the point I'm trying to make is these things have been in my market. 3% used to be nobody offered less than 3%. It was three or three and a half. These days, I've seen two and a half. I've seen two. I haven't seen below two yet. But all these changes that are occur that are going to occur and be maybe accelerated by what's happened with NAR have already been happening. And there's always been a lot about options. I think it's just going to be increasingly important that you use these options to your advantage. And Bruce, you're more current in the market than I am, so I know you have some takes on it also. 
Well, I'd like to um, hear from some of you. Uh, maybe not. Uh, uh, we we want to hear from you guys, but we're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the uncertainty and some of the fear and what some of these changes could mean for us. But uh, show of hands, and then we're going to ask you to take your hand down. So go down to the bottom and uh, click the reaction button if this applies to you. Okay. All these changes in the market and these lawsuits that are being settled, all of these things that are happening have made you nervous. So if you have gotten nervous <laughs> or scared about the direction of the market, the direction of your business, raise your hand with some of these things that have have come down the uh, down the pipe. It's making you a little bit making you a little bit fearful. Bruce, I think Ron's uh, hand went up before you finished the question. I know Ron's hand did go up before I finished the question. He left it up, so he either has a question or uh, or uh, he's extra scared. He telepathically <laughs> knew. Okay. Um, by the way, Ron, go ahead and unmute yourself if you do uh, have have a comment or question. Yeah, many many years ago, way before I got into real estate, I remember my mom, dad, when they uh, bought their transaction, it was like one piece of paper. But I remember them saying. The buyer always paid for the, you know, for their side of the property. Well, after a while, after a few years, some of the agents got smart and a lot of buyers didn't have the down payment. So they went ahead and got some of the sellers. It wasn't a conspiracy, but it was just a marketing ploy that they raised the price of the of the uh, of the market of the property and told, hey, we'll pay for the buyer's commission. Well, that started a whole process way back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where it became the norm that the seller just went ahead and paid for the commission, and it wasn't really negotiated saying we would raise the price. It was automatically put in because everybody was doing it. Mm -hmm. So now it looks like it's going to go back, and it's probably going to go back where, okay, I'm just going to pay the seller's commission, and the agent says, well... You may have to negotiate some of that price to be able to pay for the buyer's commission. Mm -hmm. And the seller will have to think about it. After being on the market for 30, 40, 60 days, they may start thinking, well, maybe I need to raise the price a little bit and pay the, the buyer's commission. So we're going to go right back. It just has to do yeah. with the ability to, to make everybody aware what they are doing. And mm -hmm. I don't know the whole circumstances, why it was a lawsuit. Maybe they didn't make it apparent or transparent to the seller that he was paying for somebody else. Mm -hmm. In California, we actually have a separate section saying, hey, your commission is paid by the broker. And out of that, X percentage will be paid to the buyer's agent. But you're paying one commission. And yep. it's split up so that... Everybody understands that, yes, you are paying one commission, and out of this one commission, X percentage of that is going to go to the buyer's agent. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what other states are doing, but I know in California, that's somewhat of a history of a nutshell. I think the biggest problem and the biggest reason for the lawsuit, um, aside, from, uh, aside from lawyers that saw a payday, aside from them... Um, was that sellers were unaware that they even had an option um, or it wasn't properly explained. Now, their 11-page or 13-page or 15-page in North Carolina contract might have explained it a little bit better, 
but agents don't even really understand it. And agents certainly weren't explaining it well. And a lot of sellers didn't know that they had an option um, on what their uh, fee was. Uh, many times they didn't know it was negotiable. And so that that leads to it. And it's led to this whole, now that the lawsuits have come out and been settled or been decided on, um, it's leading a lot of people to fear the problem. Well, guys, you just heard back back a long time ago, this was the way that it was. The commissions were decoupled. Um, Ron just mentioned how commissions were decoupled. We're going back. Potentially, we're going back into an industry where that's decoupled and uh, buyers are going to need to pay for their buyer agent or they're going to need to go negotiate it as a closing cost um, or buyers are going to come straight to listing agents. Um, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but uh, we're just going back. Don't be worried because we're just going back to something that we already had in the past, potentially. And it worked in the past. Um, Tim and I were talking just a little bit ago. Um, Tim, I think you brought it up on. Uh, yeah, you brought it up when uh, when we were talking. It's a who moved my cheese um, situation where we're used to operating inside of a specific um, system. And that system might be changing a little bit. And you can either, if you haven't read the book, Who Moved My Cheese, it's a great book. And that's uh, about some guys that go through a maze and find cheese. And they go back to that, through that maze to that spot every single day until one day the cheese is no longer there somewhere else in the maze. And one person just sits there going, uh, feeling bad for himself and saying, so my cheese was moved. And the other person decides to embrace the fear and embrace the unknown and go looking for more cheese. And he learns how to change inside of systems. And he learns how to recognize when change is coming. And right now is a time when change is coming. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what opportunities there are, what struggles there are going to be. Change is coming. You can either keep going to the exact same spot, expecting it to be the same forever and ever, and only being scared of someone moving your cheese, or you can figure out how to adapt to change. And not only adapt, but change is as honestly when market share is traded off. That's the biggest thing that I want everyone to take. Change is where market share changes hands. You've got brokerages and teams in your market or agents in your market that are going to buckle down and they're going to say, this has been working really well for me for so long. I'm not changing. And that agent or that team, little by little, they're going to move lose market share. If you are willing to make adaptations and change and try things that might be a little bit outside of the box, in other words, go look in other parts of the maze and figure out how to sniff out new cheese. If you can do that, you're going to gain market share. Um, going into um, the last time I saw a market where change happened this rapidly was back in 08. And going into 08, I was doing very little business, very, very little business. I think I might've sold six houses the year before that. Um, and over the course of 08, 09, I moved my business from six transactions a year to over a hundred transactions a year, all because I embraced change and I embraced uncertainty. And I, I started looking for ways of doing business differently. And if you guys are in that position where you're willing to embrace change and think out of the box and drive the change in your local market, you're going to gain market share. We just have to think out of the box. And that's what 
kind of what we want to talk about a, a good amount today is how to think out of the box, give you guys some ideas that you can use. Um, again, they are not, we're not going to tell you guys that the, this is exactly where the market's going, that, that, that some of these ideas are the thing that you have to do, but we're going to get some ideas from everyone. I'm going to share some ideas. Same with Jim, same with Ken, Tim, and, um, and, and take notes and uh, think about some of the things that you hear today and think about putting them into practice in your business and adjusting your business beyond beyond uh, what your broker tells you to do, okay? What the system tells you to do because the system is going to get turned on its side. The cheese is going to move. We don't, don't know where it's going to go, but it certainly would be nice if you get ahead of it and you dictate where it moves to. So that's what I'm going to encourage you guys to do. I think it's important, Bruce, to say that we hope you get off this call today encouraged and somewhat excited about the opportunities that 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 this is causing for you. Because if you look at it that way, that's what's going to happen for you. This is an opportunity. And that's what we're going to try to move you towards. We've got three people with their hands up. Let's let's start off with a little bit of that. Some people I think yeah. have something to tell you there. Salim. Cool. Salim or, or Salim? What's that, Ken? Or they're still afraid from the question that you asked earlier. <laughs> they haven't yeah. lost their fear from the question. <laughs> exactly. I doubt that. Go uh, ahead, yeah. Please. Salim, you'll need to unmute yourself, buddy. Where'd he go? There he is. Okay, Salim, Salim go ahead and unmute yourself. There you go. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hey, uh, guys. Anyway, these are great calls, and I've always looked forward to them. Um, and lots of great value. So I just want to thank uh, Jim and you and everybody else who's been putting these together, bringing all the you know decades of knowledge to all of us. Um, so here, my first thought was, okay, so they lost the case. It's heavy on NAR. They're always trying to do the best to protect us. So what's next? New York, I'm in New York, you know, and it's an attorney state, and I'm especially in New York City, which is a whole different animal on its own. And one of our pitches had been all these years, we've been heavy on listings, closing 35 to 40 transactions a year consistently, which kind of slowed down during COVID, but still, you know, it, it's still 20 plus. So one of the pitches was with the sellers that, hey, listen, by putting on the multiple listing service, blah, 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 you get to have 26,000 agents working for you. And that's where we were able to offer the 2% or whatever it was for the buyer side. And, and that obviously caused, you know, and open houses, it was a 50-50 formula all these years, you know, 50% direct sale, 50%, the MLS would bring an offer. Mm -hmm. So that's where my cheese question is that since that cheese moved um, and I have my license with KW Keller Williams and apparently they were one of the ones that took a big hit in this whole uh, scenario. So I'm like, okay, so how do I get excited as this being the new opportunity? That's kind of, yep. you know, because you have to shift fast, you know, I mean, everything you stay ahead of the curve, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where my my thinking is, and I agree with all of you that you need to take this as a, a change in the market share, and then see how you can capitalize on it. Basically, yep. 
Really good uh, comments and good questions. So um, how do you capitalize? First off is I think everyone needs to know that your cheese is not moved yet. Mm -hmm. And your cheese might not move. Um, but I like it personally. I enjoy when my cheese gets moved. And for those that are just completely clueless on this, just, just go read the book or watch a short summary of the book or something like that. It's, it's a, a good, simple concept. In, in the chat, someone was good enough to have posted, there's a new version of it out and they posted the link to it. So Ryan, Ryan uh, Lally posted it in there. For those of you who want to look, it's mm -hmm. there. Cool. Yeah, I'll copy that link. Yeah. So I think that the issue that we're facing right now is that the cheese isn't moved, but it's not a problem if the cheese does move. And uh, I'm sure that there are going to be um, brokerage systems and, and, and systems of selling real estate that don't change things a lot. Um, the only thing that the lawsuit is doing is is telling sellers that they don't have to cover the buyer, the selling commission. That's that's the main point, is that they don't have to. Will sellers still continue to pay 5%, 6%, 7% with the understanding that a certain amount goes to the buyer, uh, buyer's agent or the, the selling firm? Yes, I'm sure that is going to, to happen within, in some, if not most, scenarios. Um, are, uh, could it possibly change that... Um, that uh, that that some sellers say, nope, I'm going to pay a listing commission only, um, and I'm not going to cover the buyer uh, this the buyer's commission. Sure, that could happen. That's going to be kind of up to you guys. It's going to be up to the leaders in your local markets, and I'd like to encourage you guys to be the leaders in your local markets. And if there's going to be an evolution driven in your market, my challenge to everyone here is that let that be you. Let it be you that drives that evolution. You're going to have to think, if you're going to do that, you'll need to think out of the box. We were talking about some ideas earlier. We were talking about the idea of, on the buyer agent side, on the buyer side, potentially charging a retainer and working off of uh, working off of a per hour uh, price where a retainer has been paid. Um, one thing that I did in my market several years ago when the market was just on a craze and houses were doubling in price every two years, and we all know that was just a couple of years ago, um, listing agents got to the point and sellers got to the point where they dropped the average commission that was being offered down to, it was starting to get down to about one and a half percent. I even saw 1% co-op uh, uh, commissions. On $150,000 houses outside of the city. Okay, that's certainly way lower than my average price, but it moved from the 800,000s in, in Raleigh to all the way down to the, the uh, rural $150,000 houses. And if, if you guys haven't tried to represent a buyer on a $150,000 house where you're making $1,500, it's not so much worth it. It's not worth it. But the push downward on commissions was happening, and I didn't drive that change. Now we have an opportunity to actually drive some of this change and think out of the box and redesign our systems. Um, so when I was working with buyers and commissions were low, I'd sit down and I'd have a conversation with buyers and I'd say something like this. I would say, hey, here's everything that I'm going to do for you. My fee is um, 2.5% or... 
$7,000, whichever is more. Okay, so 2.5% or $7,000. And 90% of the time, the uh, seller is going to cover that for us, or the listing firm and the seller are going to cover that for us. If they don't, this is how much you'll have to pay in closing costs. And I would present it as a closing cost. And I would say, now, if they're paying less than this, um, I will do my absolute best to negotiate a closing cost credit for you to help cover what you're going to pay me. And I would do that with buyers all the time. Um, so there, there are ways if if commissions go away on the selling side, there are absolutely ways that if you work with buyers, you can still get paid. Salim, I would one thing I would do immediately on listings is you know there will be brokers like my neighbor that are knocking the door and say, hey, I only charge three percent, and probably don't even give them an option to pay the buyer. So you might on listing appointments, you might want to tell the seller you want to you're going to very likely have the option to do it the old way, 6%, 3% or whatever you choose to give to the buyer's agent. But you might want to tell the seller, there may be people knocking on your door that can only charge 3%, but I want you to understand they may or may not get shown as much by the buyer's agents. You want to, you want to make that clear to them that it's apples and oranges. And mm -hmm. then you could say to them, I can do the same thing. I can just put it in the MLS for you at 3%, see what happens, and we can adjust it. Yep. But and then you tell them what your belief is. My belief is we should probably put it at the higher rate and have all 27,000 agents cooperate. So that's one change you probably need to make right away because somebody will be out ahead of the cheese and somebody will start doing that on all mm -hmm. the listings. So be ready for it and combat it before it happens. I, I would urge you, though, to make sure that you have some conversation with your broker uh, and make sure that your broker doesn't have a very specific opinion about what they do and don't want you to talk about because they may have, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to run afoul of what your broker wants you to go do. So I think, again, I'm going to go back to say, not suggesting that these are things you ought to go do. Don't try to fix prices. You know, there's a big precedent out here. Just be creative in what you do. And what Jim said is correct. I mean, you know, like anything else, it's all in how you put it, not necessarily the substance, but how you express it. So you know, learn to be creative in the way you express yourself. Don't box yourself into a corner or put yourself into jeopardy. And I'm going to always say, be careful about that. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got, Bruce, you're holding something up. I know you want yeah. to. Yeah. Real it. fast, before I go to Roger, I'm holding in my hands an old copy of my listing booklet that I would take on listing presentations. And in the back of that booklet, I had a uh, premier listing options menu with four different menu items that the seller could choose from. And at the bottom of each menu, it tells how much my personal fee is. Okay. So I've got um, a listing that I get 2.25% on, one that I get 3%, one that I get 3.5%, one that I get 4%. And those are non-cooperating ratios. And what I used to do is I'd tell the seller, which one of these plans do you want? And they'd pick one. And then I'd say, would you like to also offer a um, offer to cover the buyer agent commission. A lot of times that'll help get traffic in your door. Uh, my suggestion would be that you pay two and a half percent to um, to in, in cooperating commissions to get the buyer. 
And then I would say if I represent the buyer, which this is probably going to start happening a lot uh, where uh, as a listing agent, you you may not represent the buyer, but you actually get both sides. I would tell them if, if um, the buyer comes directly to me, I'll still represent you and I'll drop whatever that cooperating fee is from two and a half to one percent. So you could always present your services as what your particular service services are and how much you make. And then ask them if they'd like to contribute on top of that to cover the um, selling firm commission. Hey, Bruce, it looks like Salim has a follow-up before we go to Roger. Yeah. Yep. Salim. Go ahead. Uh, so, by the way, put yeah, out your name for us. Is it Salim? Salim, yeah. Like Salim, Salim. just take the E out, put an I in there. So it became it. Salem, it becomes Salim. So, um, so yeah, thank you for It's so weird because you were showing that card and I was thinking... Maybe an a la carte would be the way to go. You know, when you go to a certain restaurant and you get the main dish and then everything else comes separately, you pay for it, right? So that's what I was thinking. Like it would be ideal maybe in this time to capitalize in that way by presenting a menu to the seller. And we're, you know, heavy on this, the listing side. So that's where we want to continue to be because that's where you can control the market share. Mm-hmm. And basically... You know, just say, hey, listen, this is what it is. So if there is a way you can share that, what you just showed us, that that card, that would be awesome. And, and I don't know how you would do that, but, you know, it, it, we can take it and work with it and play with it. But my mind was exactly when you lifted that up. It's like maybe a la carte is the way to go and then present services so they can check off. Okay, this is basic and this is what I want to add on. You know, when you buy a car, I mean, the same thing. You get a basic model or you get a loaded model. You know, mm-hmm. it's you what do you want to pay for? So, so Lee, that- I can't I can't help but uh, relate that to the story I told about the guy who did the driveway and the landscaping. He just he just offered a free appetizer up front before you got to the main course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yep. So it, it, I think that's just the way it should go and probably be the ideal because this way they're empowered to the seller and they have a choice, you know, and they're choosing from there. And then you put it as part of it, them to the contract. And this is, and then you're covering your, you know, rare end. Yeah. Is the I, they made. They want to put it uh, or not. Ken, go ahead. Yeah, just just letting sellers uh, having them focus on the, their net a lot of times is important because uh, you know you sit down with sellers, you start talking about closing costs um, or paying the buyer's closing costs. A lot of sellers are like, "No, I don't want to pay the the closing costs. No one paid for my closing costs." And I'm like, "Well, listen, you know, if you can pay closing costs but you can net more money, would." Would you prefer that? I mean, don't you think it's more important to to focus on what you're going to actually put in your pocket? Because if you pay closing costs, you probably will get a, a higher uh, sales price and you'll net more money. And that comes back to what commission you're offering on the selling side. I mean, sometimes you can get a 7% commission by telling them, listen, everybody else is offering, you know, random commissions. Typically, the highest is is 3%. But, um, yeah, typically the highest is 3%. But, you know, people generally do work in their self-interest. So maybe if we offered 3.5%, don't you think every buyer's agent out there in the marketplace would want to sell your property and uh, be a raving fan of your property and start singing the praises of your home? Now, of course, you don't have to do that. You could offer them 1% uh, or anything you'd like. But if you offer them more, 
generally you're going to get more people excited about trying to, to, to sell your property and sing the praises. Um, it's amazing the way everything goes full circle. My good friend Joel here will remember what you just said was an old Mike Ferry objection handler. Are you know about commission? Are you more interested in the commission you pay or the dollars you net? Right, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Pretty hard for him to say no. I care more about the commission than what I put in the bank. So exactly the right. same thing. Yeah, and then and then the other thing back to what Bruce said is I did have the pleasure of selling uh, houses in Las Vegas for forty thousand dollars. So I don't know if it wasn't worth it or not. I mean, uh, 17 years later, I'm still in real estate Why other people were getting out of the business. So I, I called it paying my dues and it, I, I, you know, 13 transactions in one month. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, it was easy to find buyer business at that time. Real, real easy. Um, but you know, if the commissions were too low, like Bruce said, you can sit down and discuss like, Hey, we're going to ask for closing costs, but one of the things we're going to ask for also is for me to be compensated uh, for my commission. But one of the one of the things that we you know we talk about a lot is empathy. Again, when you sit down with somebody you don't know and they don't like you and they don't trust you and they don't feel like you know them, and you start asking like, "Hey, I got a minimum commission of five thousand or seven thousand dollars," they're like, uh, "I'm out of here." But if you really sit down with them and you really get to know them and they and and you've built a bond with them by showing you you understand them and you care about them when you ask for your, your minimum commission to pay for you and your family the uh conversation's a little different you know they're not just going to be like no no you know if you're making it about money every time you're going to lose because the whole economy is like a race to the bottom um but you got to make people care about you and let let them know you care about them. And that's how they want to see you win because they know you want to see them win. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better. All right. Um, let's go to Roger. And uh, while I'm doing this, I, I just want to say remember and i we we use clichés a lot i'm i'm kind of anti cliche but um sometimes it's just perfect and and people don't, really don't um care how much you know until they know how much you care you you've got to you've got to um show that you're working in people's self interest and once they appreciate that and recognize that and uh and believe that then they'll follow your advice so uh roger go ahead Hey, just a second. And Raj, before you start, I just want to say one thing. We're probably going to go run long today because I already, we've only, we've got about 22 minutes left. We've got several people that want to be heard. I know Joel has joined us. We're going to want to hear from him. And we definitely want to talk some more about this subject. So just be prepared. We're probably going to run a little bit long today. And I don't know whether your schedule will permit it, but we're going to be here for a bit and we'll talk as long as we can and you guys have the time. So just be prepared in advance, we're probably going to run a little long today. And Roger, if you've got two things to talk about, I know uh, Alyssa asked you to come on. I'll ask you to talk about the thing we're talking about now first, and then we'll come back to you maybe towards the end from the marketing standpoint. So far away there, buddy. Thank you, sir. Um, Ken, you're absolutely right. 
starting the conversation with what's important to you about selling the house. Where is it going to be? What, you, what, what's, what is it going to solve in your life and your family's uh, family? So you're building the rapport that you have. Um, in listening to what uh, what was going on the the with the with the court case, the thing that occurred to me somewhere in the middle of uh, me preparing uh, a uh, counter offers on a on a house was that uh, the bottom line to the seller is his net. The bottom line, uh, and uh, the truth. If if the if you really look at that uh, that net, <clears throat> which we started out at the listing. A, a listing appointment when we started saying this is what I'm going to what you'll wind up net and I'll take out uh, your closing costs uh, which is your title fees your title insurance and all of the other items that are included your state taxes the transfer taxes and so on and so forth and this is what you're going to and we're taking them off of the the big number and we're focusing on the little number right there I sat there and I looked at that again and I said, you know what? I set this up that I'm not talking about commissions uh, after we get to, after we get into it. The, 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 the aha moment for me was who is really paying the commissions. It is not the seller. It is the buyer who brings the money to the con to the to the transaction he's actually paying for the things and then i start saying well how's the, how do i get to that with the uh, with the buyer and how does that work i called three bank presidents and two appraisers uh the bank president said we don't give a darn who pays for the for the commissions we had in 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 commercial stuff. It's all negotiated uh, between uh, the buyers and the sellers on who's on how much uh, commission you're going to get and so on and so forth. But uh, as far as uh, residential, all we care about in the bank is making sure that we've got a marketable instrument that will be put on the market after it's closed. If there's commissions that are included in that sales price or in the bottom line, there we don't care. It, it, it doesn't interest us at all. And then I called the, a couple of appraisers and I said, do you make allowances when you do an appraisal for, um, for commissions? Or do you just take the MLS and what you have and what the sales price was at, the, at that time? And he says, typically, we don't have the disclosure of what the commission structure is on, uh, on the thing. So we appraise the, uh, the, the value based upon the sales price, which includes the commissions, which is paid for by the, by the buyer. And could be could and and Ken, you're absolutely correct. Uh, one of the best ways to reduce that uh, concern uh, from uh, from the buyer standpoint is, hey, you can ask for three uh, percent uh, concession so that you can make the so that you can get uh, close this deal. All of a sudden, the buyer is reduced. His anxiety is reduced because he's his his closing costs are reduced by the amount of a concession on the front end of the negotiation. The seller, uh, the the seller at this point is looking at dollars flying out of out of the the house out of what he's getting which he didn't really have to begin with. Mm -hmm. It's not his money. 
It's the buyer's money. He can drop the price uh, and and say, um, do, do what you can. So you've got a different perspective, a completely different paradigm that you can present to uh, to sellers on and you starting off with what's important to you about your selling the home. And that's the solution. The solution is making the connection, solving the problem for the seller so that he can move on with his next, whatever that is in his life and finding, finding and, and, and taking and accepting that bottom line net, which on every, uh, every, Every every spreadsheet that I give to a seller subtracts out his closing costs, subtracts out the the commissions, and and so on and so forth. And this is what your bottom line net's going to be, and it's transparent. The pro, the the fix on the perspective, in my opinion, is outside of our control, and it has to do with uh, how that commission is presented on the HUD one or the closing disclosure. If the closing disclosure shows that it is split, uh, a split closing, here's what the, 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 the buyer is paying for commissions, and this is what the seller is paying for commissions, all of a sudden it becomes very clear that he's not paying 6%. He's, 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 he's still getting his bottom line net, but he becomes aware, the seller becomes aware that he is losing money or he thinks he's losing money because the closing disclosure in the HUD one shows it all on his side of the transaction. Mm -hmm. And, and, and therein lies one of the fixes that uh, title companies, if there is a way to do that, they can do it. But the bottom line, Ken, you're absolutely right. Connect with the solution that selling the house has and show them. And, and, and you're the, you're the, conduit for making that happen and show them that they're what their bottom line net is and this is what they're going to get uh, other than that that's the paradigm shift that i had through this whole thing and perfect thank you so yeah I, I like that you do a net sheet you know pre getting the home on the market i mean then it's real clear you sign a net sheet a three percent's going or whatever the commission is again we shouldn't specify but this per the buyer's agent's getting this, uh, you know, I'm getting this. And then, you know, hey, you could even say, let's let's put it out there at zero percent and uh we can wait and see what see what happens. And then if uh if we don't get anybody who's willing to take their one, you know, maybe five five uh transactions that they're gonna do a year and, and sell your home for free, um, you know, maybe that at that time we can think about offering somebody um uh, a real commission that they can support their family on and do uh a service to their buyer you know we got we got to remember i mean having a, a buyer's agent on the other side of the transaction actually makes a lot of things a lot easier for the seller too right because if a buyer comes out and they don't understand the transaction maybe they're writing 15 offers or telling 15 different people they're going to buy their property a buyer's agent says you know Hey, we're going to have to put earnest money down. So let's make sure we get it right. And that the buyer's agent also makes sure that the buyer has the funds to close or has the loan. I mean, they're pro providing a lot of value. So that's also a way to explain it to the seller what the buyer's agent's uh, value is. And that's why 
it might be a good idea to offer them some money and compensate it. I mean, at, at the end of the day, like Roger said, and the money's, it, there can be an argument made that the money is coming from the seller, but there can also be an equally um, persuasive argument that all the money's coming from the buyer. So, you know, but the money is coming in the, tr from the transaction, from the buyer and seller, the way I look at it, you know, so it's just making it, explaining it thoroughly, you know, over disclose and making sure everybody understands what everyone's roles are and why they are, uh, why it's important to compensate them. Mm -hmm. yep. John, you had your hand up. Would you like, I saw you made him take your, your hand down. If you'd like, uh, please feel free to jump back in there, in there. Hey, how are you? Really good. Yeah, Where really is good. John? Where there is John. John. Okay. There is John. Okay. I'm in Sarasota, Florida. Is my camera on? I don't know what I'm I'm on my iPad instead of my computer, and I'm confused. <laughs> that confuses, <laughs> that me, confuses too. me, too. Are you, are you seeing me, or you don't care to see me? <laughs> uh, no, we, we <laughs> don't we, see you. We don't see you. All right. So, um, oh, I can't figure out how to turn that on. Anyway, um, I'm... I'm Certified back in the Chad Corbett days. Haven't been on a call in probably five years. Busy doing other things because of what I see coming in the market. I decided I do want to focus on the probate niche. So I jumped on this call today. First time in a long time. Not sure of the format and such. And I'm not sure that the questions that I had written down are actually appropriate for today's call. It seems like the calls are very much uh, single topic based. John, this is probably the first time in years we haven't talked about probate, so yeah. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, no, they're not normally single topic. Yeah. We uh, that we've been a little more single topic today, but uh, we are happy to take probate questions as well. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. Because I was going to say I can pass to another call if. If you guys didn't want to do that, I don't want to be the fly in the ointment. But since you insist, I will give you my question. So I gave you my background. I certified uh, years ago. I've been in the real estate business a very long time, longer than I'd like to say. And um, I'm getting uh, into the probate niche in a very serious way. And I'm thinking about um, organizing marketing and such and campaigns. And I was wondering if there was any resource or best practices for, uh, and what I'm not speaking about a specific copy as much as I am uh, timing and cadence with respect to um, email marketing campaigns, um, um, uh, regular mail marketing campaigns, and um, calling campaigns, you know, call twice a week for the first 10 days and then, you know, whatever, whatever. Is there any um, best practices that you have for setting up mail, email, and call schedules with respect to the probate lists? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first thing that uh, you need to understand and really everyone needs to understand because uh, your question is one that I hear uh, a lot is uh, what are best practices? And so best practices, um, the truth is we're going to uh, recommend best practices based on what your average prospect is going to respond to. The average person, every prospect has their own formula for unlocking. 
Um, you send a letter to one of them that, uh, or you send a letter to 10 people and one of them is going to say, this is the best thing I've ever read. Um, seven are going to ignore it. One's going to get mad and one's going to hold on to it for a while and call you later. So it's kind of every, everybody has a different formula. So in general, um, you want to work on your leads for six months. Um, you don't have to start your campaign with a six month campaign before you make your first call or send your first letter. You could always start with, uh, with a plan for three months, but I'd like everyone to build to a six month campaign. Um, if it's five, that's fine. If you run 12 months, that's fine. Completely fine. We know that most people that have inherited real estate start to sell in that five, six month range. Um, that's most, some people are in a week, some people are in 18 months, but the majority are going to fall into a five or six month range. And we want you to be in front of them with a relationship when they move into that phase where they're going to sell real estate. So with that said, I call pretty heavily in the first month. Um, typically three to five times in the first month for the people that I've not gotten on the phone yet. Um, if they haven't responded to me or given me any kind of reaction, it's just uh, a complete, I'm um, just completely being ignored. Um, at the end of that first month, I'm going to fall back where I'm only calling once a month for the, for the next five or six months. I am definitely leaving voice messages. Um, not every single call, uh, but if I have not, uh, attempted them or left a message sometime in the last couple of weeks, I'm going to leave another voice message with each call. So I do like voicemails because uh, especially later in the campaign, because they've kind of proven that they're not going to call you out of curiosity. It's really important that you deliver that marketing message. Your phone calls work best when they're in conjunction with direct mail. Um, the easiest direct mail system to set up is uh, one letter every single month for six months. So that's kind of the easiest, uh, least nuanced. Um, and that's a good approach. I like to sprinkle in some seasoning into my mail campaign. So I like personally dropping some postcards really close behind one of my letters, really, really close behind. Um, that way, if someone opens my letter and they say, hey, I kind of like this, but I'm busy right now, they set it on a desk or on a table and then they pile a book on there and then they pile another piece of mail and it just kind of gets that pile and they start to forget you. A few days later, they see your face, your name and your USP on a postcard and it just kind of freshens your brand image up in their mind. So really simple would be a single letter once a month for six months. Uh, if you want to start getting a little more nuanced. Um, sprinkle in some postcards and some brochures uh, into the mix. Can if you're going to do mail, you? you have to drive it back to a website or some kind of page that they can check you out and see if you're credible or not. Go ahead, and John. Bruce, make it make it clear that we will do the mail for you. You know, this Absolutely. is I use your guys' mail. I have your guys' website, so I, I know what you guys do. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Um, yep. I have a question about the calls because I've been hitting the phones. Our day religiously, couple of weeks, and um, vast majority I'm getting voicemail, and I am leaving a voicemail, mm -hmm. but I don't know what to do. Um, so ring, ring, hey, this is uh, John Michalidis with the Probate Assist team. I just wanted to make you aware of the free service that we offer. We we got your contact information through the um, county uh, clerk's office, and your name is associated with a property at one two three. Green Street, so we believe it's an estate situation, and I just want you to know that we provide free referrals to various 
um, service providers that may be needed, such as movers and packers, blah, 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 blah. So the spiel. And, oh, no, that's okay. We're, we're all taken care of. Oh, okay. So you, you, you've, you've, you've got everything you need. You don't need any cleanup crews or anything. No, no, we're good. Thank you very much. Boom. Okay, now I'm going to call him back next week. You know, now I don't know what to do. Yeah. Get get, uh, get permission for a next step. So um, whatever their objection is, I expect it, and I'm going to validate it. Hey, it sounds like you really weren't looking for outside help today. Validate. Validate. Yeah, that's right. Okay, now you're just going to pivot to a next step. i tell you what, since you don't need anything, why don't I shoot you some information on our team? And then you can call us if you ever need any help. Is that fair? They're going to agree because you just made it really easy for them to agree. Okay. What's a good email for you? Grab that email address. Most of the time I'm having their email already. So that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm sending an email that's following up um, on our call. Whether Mm -hmm. I leave a voicemail or not, as a matter of fact, or speak to them, I'm sending this email. Hey, I touched base today. Here's who we are. Here's what we do. Link to the website. Boom. So they have it. And I also yep. have produced a video that is linked in that email too, so they can see a video explanation of what yep. I'm doing. So the only thing I'm going to challenge you on there is that you want them to agree to get that email so that it's not so that it's something that they're actually looking for and they can connect you at your voice on the phone and that email together. So rather than just get off the phone with them after they've rejected my service and then send an email that they weren't expecting, I want them to say, yes, send me the information on what you do. I'll call you if anything changes. Um, In their mind, that's a put off, but at least it's permission to go look at your email where you're going to get further into your message than you did on the phone. Um, And then I... Uh, the voicemail, I go into detail on what I do. So detail, um, this is Bruce. Um, I work no, no, with families no, going I mean, through probate. I help with... What I mean uh, is, should I, sell the, should I send the email after I left the voicemail? Are you saying no, don't? Oh, got it. Uh, that's up to you. I don't, um, but that's uh, that's up to you. Um, personal, personally, I don't, but that doesn't mean that it's, that, that my way is the right way. Hey, John, okay. I'm going to, in in the interest of, of making sure that we do have time to finish up today, I, if you don't yeah. mind, let's take take this offline. What, but what I would like you to do, if you'll schedule a call with Ken, our coach, Ken will walk you through all of this and just contact support and we'll get you scheduled with a coaching call and you can get all this one-on-one and we'll walk you right through our kind of best practices. Is that okay? Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. please. Please do, because I'm hearing a lot of stuff that I'm like, you know, itching to uh, correct. Uh, yeah, well, well we're going to we're going to straighten you up and, and get you a lot better results. I mean, a- absolutely. Because, again, it's just so it's so you're dealing with a loss here and it's so business minded. We, we got to get more personal and, and really, mm-hmm. you know, let those people feel that we care about them. Uh, just like we care about all you guys out there in the, uh, that are watching this, you know, so get, so please do give us a like on this, on this podcast. You know, we never asked for that, but there is so much knowledge in this room here, but, uh, but yeah, please set, schedule that call. I, I can't wait to uh, get together with you. And, uh, and Di- Diana just raised her hand and said, she'll be calling you too. 
<laughs> so they're uh, going, hey, let's <laughs> let's go, people. Yeah. Right, like yeah. we go, we got we got a lot of knowledge here. I mean, I'm 17 years in the business, three uh three full time years in probate, and all these other guys. I mean, we've dedicated our lives to this to this business. So uh, you know, give us some likes, but let's schedule those calls. We'll yeah. Hey, awesome. Scott, I unmuted you. You go ahead. We'll get to Deanna, and then I want to get to Joel, who's been joining us today and kind of waited patiently, and then we're going to close out with Roger. But, Scott, go ahead. Well, this kind of goes back to the, you know, the the buyer presentation and the listing presentation. The firm I was with for eight years, we had a buyer agreement from day one. I mean, you always have a listing agreement, so why not have a buyer's agency agreement? A lot of agents are afraid of that from people saying no, but you know, we do a presentation every time with buyers, <clears throat> you know, somebody starts telling you what they want over the phone. It's like, Hey, it'd be really nice to get together with you and maybe whoever they're making that decision with. So I can see what your criteria is from your eyes, but commissions only come up in the absence of value. And if you really meet with your client and you bond with them and you really just get to know them first, we spend 85% of the time at a buyer's agency or a buyer's meeting bonding with them, finding their criteria, talking about everything and why they're moving and stuff. And when we talk about our fee, it doesn't matter because in our presentation, it actually says that the seller pays. I know technically you can twist it any way you want, who's really paying the commission, but it's really in the listing agency that the commission is paid to both parties. Now, I know the law or the rules in Washington state are changing January. You have to have a buyer's agency. I've been doing it for eight years. So to me, it's no big deal. Um, in fact, it shows a little bit of commitment and loyalty. Now, we also have a buyer's agency cancellation guarantee that says, hey, you can fire me at any time. So we have to prove ourselves on a daily basis. So they don't feel like they're locked in, even if they sign an agreement. I have rarely had anybody not sign an agency agreement. If they don't, they're really not committed to you anyway. So why go waste your time? And after we bond and get everything, we kind of twist it in a way that we have 12 promises that we basically this holds me accountable. So it it shows the buyer that this is holding me accountable to you, not in the fact that they're accountable to me. It's me being accountable to them. Mm -hmm. And we show them the 12 promises, which is pretty awesome 12 promises, but I'm not going to get into our presentation but I don't think this law is really going to affect us much because I've been getting 4% for quite a while. It's harder now, obviously, but um, since the seller's always paying and I'm always going to negotiate the seller to pay, it's really just saying to the buyer that, look, this is my fee because of all of these value services that I've just presented. If I can't get it, I'm not going to walk away from the deal or let that affect you getting the perfect house. I'll take whatever they're offering, but this is just kind of an agreement that you're going to allow me to at least negotiate for it. And the seller's always going to pay. They rarely have an objection to that. And the first thing I let them sign is the cancellation guarantee. So I've already gotten them in the habit of signing something and it's saying, hey, you can fire me tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I show them the 12 promises and then the agency agreement. You know, I'm asking for 3% all the time because I'm not going to go show a house for 0%. Well, I mean, you know, they understand that, look, we got to get yeah. paid. And they always bring it up anyway. They always say, so what's your fee? 6%. I'm like, hey, good news. It's only half of that. You know, however <laughs> you want to do it. But 
they're all in their mind. They they already know that there's commissions. I mean, they what do they think they we work for free? It's just it's how you position it and not make it a big thing. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's it's uh, sorry. They're testing freaking alarms. God, that's one of the things Tim Bruce and I mentioned this morning. One of the most immediate effects of this, I can't imagine, and it should have been this way all along, but I can't imagine that a buyer's agent, someone in their car, with a significant chance that they're going to find a perfect home and not get paid on it. So, I mean, the most immediate effect is you got to get something in writing to protect yourself. And that's always been the case. It was always a good practice. I think it's going to become more urgent, more important for buyer's agents to do that sooner rather than later. So yep. good yep. point. Good point. Agreed. Agreed. Anna, you're waiting patiently. Go ahead. Anna, hey. Hi, how are you guys? Good. How are you? Good. Sorry, I've got the beach hair. Um, hair dryer busted. <laughs> anyway, um. I have a zillion questions, but first of all, um, what is the number for the coach? How do we get in contact with you? And uh, coaching is going to be over on the uh, website. So you go, um, you go over to the website and click on training and then professional real estate coaching, and that'll land you on Scott's. Um, Don't you do it as well? Uh, no, I, um, I'm spending my time uh, doing the probate mastery uh, training these days. So I haven't been doing one-on-one. Well, you do a great job. Thank you. And what's the, besides using you guys, which I would love to do, but what is the the other best way you think to find and actually get the correct information for probate? Probate. So you could go to the courthouse and get leads yourself, but then you have to skip trace it. So skip trace. Yeah. Skip tracing. Um, is kind of um, um, a non-exact science. So uh-huh. you're typically going to end up getting a couple of different skip tracing platforms like um, okay. uh, uh, I think it's People Finder, um, Podio, different things like that and try to find. Normally, they're going to give you a whole bunch of John Smiths if you have a John Smith. So it's one of the reasons why the ATL system um, is pretty good because they'll run it through and try to whittle it down, weed it down to the right John Smith when there could be 10 in your area or 20 or 30. Um, So if you're going to do that, just call all of them. (laughs) Um, You could spin those conversations all kinds of different ways. I have before. I've gotten people that said, no, that I'm, I'm related to this person, but they're sitting beside me. They're not dead. And uh, I've laughed and I've said, well, congratulations. I'm sure that's a relief. Okay. And they'll, they'll chuckle back. It's, it's a situation where a lot of, uh, a lot of subscribers panic. They're like, oh my gosh, I just called someone and it's the wrong person. How did that happen? Well, it's fine. Just make a joke of it and then go, Hey, this probably doesn't apply to you. Could I tell you quickly what I was calling the other guy for? And then you tell them, tell them you're in real estate. Uh, Do you have anything that, uh, any real estate needs? They get, they say, no, you get an email. You move, you, you move on, you add them to your CRM at that point. So, um, another way would be going after attorney relationships. So attorney relationships and starting to get those referrals. So you could go to the courthouse yourself. You could build your attorney relationships, which you should be doing anyway, or you could go to ATL and get, um, get your leads that are already filtered and already skip traced. Okay. Yep. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. You've got okay, a trillion else? questions. You can ask the other 999 million. Just email us. We'll, we'll, be, <laughs> we'll, we'll be glad to answer them after the call. 
Awesome. Um, yeah. And I need, I, I was going to do this for uh, Deanna's questions. I'd like to see those questions so that I can put some video responses out as well. Joel, you are on stage there, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you? Hey, Joel, before you start, I got to give you a proper introduction. I, I, I don't, well, I'm not starting anything. I just, Jim invited me and I showed up. So I don't, <laughs> think, I, any of us, I don't think any of us would be here were it not for Joel. He actually helped Pam and I uh, establish and grow our short sale business for years. And yeah, for yeah. this is our 454th uh, pro, uh, probate ATL call. Joel wow. and I co-hosted about 300 uh, nationwide short sale calls at one o'clock on Thursday. <laughs> so, yeah. but Joel, Joel is a pretty much a world round uh, expert in, uh, in NLP, neurolinguistic programming, very experienced agent, very high up in one of the major chains. And um, I, I, I know you don't have anything prepared, but what's your take on our topic today? Give give us a couple nuggets. Um, well, Jim told me today that I should probably expect this not to be all about probate. Uh, and I think of all the other conversations I've heard and all the other groups that I've heard about the commission topic, you guys seem to be more on point than anybody else that I've heard. This was a, a lot more good ideas. This felt like a way, uh, a way more powerful dialogue. Everything else I've heard is just some monologue with somebody pitching their opinion. I, I like that you had this open. Uh, I think most of the comments that I heard from people were really well-founded. And um, I, I think this, I think this call talking about this commission issue seemed to be quite the contribution. And forgive me, like, I don't, as much as I've read about it, I don't understand the nature of this lawsuit. I don't understand how they could find enough wrong to sue, right? They agreed to pay, in a, pay a commission to the listing agent or the listing broker, and the listing broker agrees, you know, the listing broker is going to share their commission in order to entice all the other buyer's agents to show it. I'm I'm confused on how anybody could win that lawsuit. You know, it's it's the old when you go to court, the judge so often finds in favor of the little guy versus the big bad corporation. So I I I really think that may have something to do with it. But my understanding, it's it was glossed over and it wasn't properly disclosed that they had an option. Like a lot of a lot of brokers would not take a listing unless there was a percentage to the buyer's agent. I, so I they think were never the other thing is that they agreed. I think what they found was that there was potential discussion, brokerage to brokerage and uh, NAR to broker to sort of hold the line on it to, you know, not discount, not do that, you know, in, in the mutual interest of, you know, making money. And I think that's part of it. I think they found enough sure. smoking gun evidence where people said, I was in a meeting where this was discussed and everybody laughed and said, we've got to keep doing this because that's how we're making our bread. So I think, I think there's, yeah, I could see that. I could yeah. see if some big brokerages said, Hey, don't discount yours and I won't discount mine. I could a hundred percent see that being a, that could be a giant problem. Yeah. And I don't know that that happened and I wasn't there, but that is some of the, the scuttlebutt that's floating around about it. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that would certainly be a reason for the collusion side. The other side of it is this is important to remember this is going to be appealed. It'll be three years before 
if money yeah. ever and it'll be a while the has got a lot of legal arms so do the big brokerage firms so nobody's going to be spending money anytime soon but i think habits are likely to change and a good open discussion with disclosure you said this earlier you know be upfront about what you're talking about open your disclosure tell people what you're doing you want to charge them 15 percent if they agree to it that's what they call a free market i mean there's that's right that. so i, think I was going to say just that i i did a listing uh, um a long time ago uh, a, a client of mine said hey my mother mother-in-law is needs to sell her little mobile home because she's going into a retirement home. Will you sell this mobile home? And I'm like, not really. And he's like, we only trust you. What would you charge us to sell it? And I'm like, I don't know. How about 10%? And they go, okay. Sure. Right. So everything was disclosed. You know, I I don't see how that, and it wasn't an even split. I kept the lion's share of that. So it was all disclosed. I don't see... Yeah, I'm. I'm. I think this is going to fall apart in appeal. The other, the other uh, comment that I wrote in the notes was, it's not if this happens, and listing agents start taking three and offering the co-op zero, and the buyers agents are forced to get the buyers to come up with cash, that radically shrinks the buyer pool, and the buyer pool that now is qualified to buy the zero commission listings those are going to go down in sales price. And so it won't be long until we have statistics that show a 6% commission, three plus three, versus a 3% commission, three plus zero. There's going to be a real obvious disparity in sales price. It's going to be obvious. And it'll at some point, it should be easy to show sellers, look, if you're willing to pay 3% for the buyer's agent, on average, you sell for seven, eight, nine percent more uh, in price. And if you want to save three percent in commission and short the buyer's agent, you just knocked out eighty percent of the buyers. Now you can only sell to the twenty percent of the buyers who have a bunch of cash, and the price goes down because you have a smaller buyer pool. This is, I think, this is going to vet itself out. It has to. Well, yeah. and one one thing we talked about this morning in our little pre meeting was that. It also may have bearing on a barrier to market for new agents coming into the industry because yeah. a lot of people start out as buyer's agents and you know, answering the telephone. And if they're not going to make enough money to live to do that with, then this is going to be an industry where we're going to be hurting for people to go do it. And we know that our industry turns over about every three years in terms of headcount. So, you know, if in three years from now, you may be, if you're good at what you do and you take good advantage of this, you may be sitting on top of a gold mine. There won't be a lot of you out there or less certainly than there are now. Uh, things are going to change. There'll be some reaction to it. I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, though, that uh, you are not going to be sitting on top of a gold mine if you don't, if you wait for the industry to dictate your changes now. Absolutely. Yep. If you're waiting for the industry to tell you how to work in three years, um, you're not going to gain market share. You have to okay. either be connected to people that are making changes or you need to make those changes for yourself. And Bruce, along the same lines, if Joel's correct and they lose an appeal, by that time, there's going to be so many brokers that run scared and change the policies. It's going to it's going to already be significantly changed with win, lose, or draw. So I, I think change is coming no matter how the case is settled. It's funny, Joel, 
Where'd Jim go? Uh oh, Jim just froze. Jim, Jim, Jim killed himself. AI, <laughs> AI got him. He must have said something bad about Hillary Clinton. No, I'm back. Oh, I'm my, com- okay. my computer, oh, yeah, my computer, my computer burped. What what I said is, if if it goes the other way and then AR loses, probably the net effect is our board dues will go up and everybody who ever bought a house will get two dollars in a class action lawsuit. I mean, it's, oh God, it's, <laughs> you know, could you imagine? But either way, the change is coming because everybody's going to start protecting themselves and probably overcorrecting in the opposite direction. I mean, there so, could also be a. There could also be a class action suit from the big brokers against NAR. I mean, NAR is a literal monopoly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that, that could be too. I think the the other thing that I want to point out is that one of the things that we're going to do. I mean, typically, you all sort of look to us as well. You know, you print stuff for us in regard to, uh, you know, in, the, in regard to probate. And one of the things that we're going to be and have already started is creating some things in response to this, because not only are we aware of it in our industry, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that listen to, uh, you know, all of the business channels on TV and uh, both, the, you know, the liberal side and the conservative side of the news channels, MSNBC to Fox News, they've all had stories about this lawsuit. It's a big deal. So we're preparing some data for you and some mailing pieces that you can use to mail to prospective customers about this and to your farm list as well, talking about what you do and, you know, what your reaction to this is and again, how to get out there in front of it. So you can look for us in about a week with some stuff to back you up doing this. Uh, You know, we're, we're going to try to do this. And ultimately in the coming year, you're going to see us create a lot more material, not just around probate, but around all aspects of your business. But that's a topic for another, another time. Uh, and I think it's probably important to kind of keep on moving here, Joel. What else? Any other any other things you'd like to throw out on the table? Um, on on this topic of commission, still, I, I think isn't this largely the way they do it in commercial? Like I know a bunch of commercial brokers, and they don't advertise a co-op commission, which is I think one of the reasons commercial sells so slowly. But they, you know, the commercial agents, they don't. They don't network quite like we do. Yeah, they use LoopNet and whatnot, but they I don't believe they they share typically share their commission with whoever brings in the buyer. It's all um, negotiated on commercial because of the dollar value. Almost all commissions, you know, you get over a million bucks and commissions start getting negotiated quickly. Correct. And a lot of times there's build outs that get added in and the commissions get negotiated and uh, I think the point, the idea is that commercial is, um, I don't want to say it's unregulated. It's regulated. Uh, there's licenses required, but it is not controlled by NAR normally. It's Correct. not controlled by the local MLS board because they don't have to, most of the time they're not in the local boards. Um, and for that reason, they all operate a little bit differently. I do see co-op commissions on commercials where I am. Do you? Um, yeah, but uh, but it's different all over the place because you ha- you don't have this big group of people that have gotten together and decided. Uh, theoretically, it doesn't appear that they've gotten together and decided how they're going to do commissions. And I think that with NAR, it appears to the public that we've gotten together and decided how to 
do commissions. Even though that's antitrust, we can't do that. It doesn't really happen. It does appear that way because sellers had no choice. They had to offer something in co-op commission. They had to offer something. They didn't have a choice of offering nothing. And that's what that's that's where I think um, the industry has done. Lisa pointed out that typically that's only the case on commercial if, in fact, that commercial property makes it into the MLS. If it is not on MLS and it's only being marketed in commercial channels like LoopNet, places like that, uh, oftentimes that's not the case. Fair. True. So uh, I want to try to get to Ron really quickly. I do want to get to Roger. And then I've got some things I want to end up with. Joel, stick around if you don't mind. Can you stick around a little longer? Okay, yeah, I got a little time, yeah. Ron, uh, I, I, go ahead and unmute. And Just a couple of things. Uh, the jury, I'm not sure how many people know this. The jury, there was no one on the jury uh, that was a homeowner. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a very... Of course. Uh, no, yeah, and I can't remember the split of exactly... The uh, number of people, male, female, whatever, on the jury, but it was really, really lopsided. And I, and someone said, "I'm not." I'm, they were surprised at how we lost. I'm in California, and I'm not surprised. We have so many different lawsuits here that we have to cover ourselves. It's 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 amazing the type of lawsuits. And real quick, one guy wanted to uh, buy a house on a golf course. He was sold a house on a golf course. Loved it. He was outside laying by the pool in his own backyard on the golf course, and a ball came in his backyard. He sued everyone and won because no one told him that a golf ball could come into his property. So um, there you go. Yeah, so, I, I, we, we have a Beltway and gaming disclosure here in Las Vegas. Now, it, it astounds me that someone actually that can afford a house doesn't know there's gaming in Las Vegas, but you know, that, yeah. that's to, uh, I mean, again, we are one of the most, uh, overly disclosed industries out there. And again, you know, like on this call, I mean, I try to listen to everybody's points, but I, I didn't pick up every nuance of every call. And even, even though we probably tell the, the seller how the commission breaks down 15 times, there's so much chaos going on during this transaction and they're moving and they're switching their cable and their their utilities sometimes they they still might not hear it so it's kind of to your point like how much disclosure is enough and maybe it comes down to video like having them articulate on video that hey i i do understand how this commission breaks down you know i don't i don't know what length we need to go to to dis disclose it and and properly have have the buyer and seller, you know, understand what the commission breakdown is. So have them sign an estimate net sheet at the listing appointment. Yeah, well, totally. We, and we discussed that. I think Roger brought that up. Yeah. And, and that is a practice I, I follow, but I'm just saying, I mean, you know, it, it is almost to the point of being ridiculous. I mean, I, I, feel like that's your sentiment and i definitely agree with that for sure hey Raj, i'm gonna ask you to unmute and uh if you will go ahead and unmute yourself and talk about your second topic that you came to join us with today real quick 
Well, I've uh, I've already started my deliveries, even though I don't have my cards yet. But I'm uh, I'll follow up with the cards anyway. Uh, every year, uh, uh, prior in the month of November, it is my mission to provide uh, uh, home baked uh, pumpkin bread to all of the uh, clients that I uh, that I do. I hand deliver it. And I've gotten several uh, uh, listings out of it, normal listings and a couple of uh, probate listings out of it also. But it is just a high touch uh, opportunity that I have every year and it keeps everybody and I have it takes me 10 or 15 minutes sometimes to get away from some of those some of those deliveries because we're catching up and uh, making appointments to uh, have lunch or whatever but uh, I've asked uh, ATL to do uh, a postcard for me to as I deliver that has a high touch uh, message on uh, asking for referrals and uh, and uh, providing uh, the the high touch I think Ken and I go a long way uh, along that same round uh, route of uh, making a connection and maintaining a connection with my clients as much as I possibly can. When I'm not calling on ATL stuff, I'm calling old clients and, and asking them how they're doing and what's happening with the kids. And uh, did you see the uh, the high school football game uh, that's going on? It's not just uh, business, business, business. It's uh, becoming a part of their life. That's uh, I think Ken does that and so do I. Hey, yeah, I, I wants to know your uh, wants to know your pumpkin bread recipe. Why don't you post it up? <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, uh, I had a new baker this year, and it, it's not. Uh, I'm not using Sam's Club or any of the local bakeries. I find somebody who is willing to accept uh, payment for the for the for for doing it. And I told her 150, and she said, "Well, you're going to have to uh, the, for payment. Don't give me money. I want this uh, almost commercial." Uh, uh, mixer uh, for it. So I went out and bought her the mixer and uh, she's making batches. I've got all 40, uh, 140 of them in freezers if, with people that I know. So I've got to go by and pick them up, put them in a man uh, and make my deliveries every day, which is what I'm doing this afternoon. Good for you, brother. Well, and one hey. of the reasons I'm going to mute you back out here. One of the things that Alyssa, who's not on the call today, asked me to point out is that we've also created Thanksgiving cards specifically for the holidays for you to use. We've also done a couple of unique letters that literally are probate letters, but are around the Thanksgiving uh, holiday because we all know that at Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's when families get together. So we're doing those things to put, uh, to give you opportunities to put stuff in the mail that people won't expect and they can be disruptive. And they literally are talking about the holiday season and, you know, sometimes people aren't there that you wanted to be there, but the family's getting together and what can, what can I do to be helpful at that time? So we've got some tools that uh, are coming to go get that done. The cards are done. The letters will be going in early next week. And uh, you know, we're definitely trying to help you get that done. So contact your MIS. We'll get those mailings done for you. And uh, we can't wait to be helpful to get those things done for you and be creative with you in your marketing uh, along the way. Um, and with that, Joel, any, any last words you'd like to offer? Um, no, nothing, nothing off the top of my head. I know you guys are almost half an hour over, so I don't want to keep anybody, but I'll happy to come back again. Well, I appreciate you being here a lot. We've, uh, you know, I've, I've known you a good long time as well, and uh, we've, you've been around a bit. So your perspective is always really welcome. 
Bruce, I don't any- catch all the gray hair. I've been around a bit. Yeah. You didn't have that when I first met you. You had more of it. <laughs> you still Bruce? jumping off buildings, Joel? Uh, I haven't gotten access to a building for a while, but there's a lot of bridges around me. Okay. He literally jumps off buildings with a parachute. You're a base yeah. jumper? Base jumper. I am. 196 times so far. That's great. Bruce, last words, buddy? Uh, no last words. Ken? Um, uh, I was just going to... Oh, I'm sorry. Ken, I thought you said Jim. Go ahead, Ken. Hey, hey back, to, back to Roger's point. I, I've heard uh, doctors, the difference between a doctor that gets sued or doesn't get sued is uh, literally like a couple, like two extra minutes with their patients. You know, doctors are being pushed into this situation where they're moving through patients so quickly. Uh, but you know, statistically, if you spend two extra minutes with that patient, you, you, your chances of going, getting sued go down drastically. So that again, back to, back to like, if these people care about you and they know you care about them and you're doing the best for them, then it's gonna, uh, it's gonna drastically eliminate, you know, any, any repercussions that's gonna, that's gonna come back to you again. That's with making your phone calls. That's with, that's with everything. Treat people with empathy, respect, and, and really show them that you care. Yeah. Make, make no mistake about it. If you're a real estate agent, you are a professional communicator. All of this is you, something didn't get communicated and somebody felt like they got hijacked. That's it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I would also urge all of you to take advantage of the opportunity. If you're a subscriber and you're one of our folks, Please schedule calls with Ken and let Ken help you work on your message, work on your marketing, work on your plan, get some of this stuff out of the way so that you can end the year strong and uh, be ready to rock and roll at the beginning of next year. And we're going to continue to monitor the topic we talked about today in some depth. And as, as things happen in the market that you need to be aware of, we'll bring them to you. And you can certainly look forward to being on this call with us and hopefully getting your fill of the things we can do. And I super appreciate the fact that so many of you stuck around for the whole call. I know we had a lot of people uh, not only on the call itself, but on social media, on the live stream. So that's been very, very good. Jim, I'm going to kick it back to you to uh, throw us out today, buddy. All right. With all these uh, sincere comments, I was going to be a little uh, facetious and ask Roger if he was getting a disclosure from people that they're not allergic to pumpkins before he distributes, but uh, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> anyway, I want to thank each and every one of you. Sincerely, thank you for being here today. Particularly, thank you for, uh, thank those that actively participated. By far, our longest call. And I want to challenge each of you, just take one idea that inspired you on this call, go out and put it into practice, and please come back next Thursday and share your results with the group. Have a great week, everybody. Same time next Thursday. Take care. Thank you all. Bye now.